long ago in a digital banking galaxy far away. So far away, in fact, that green screens were the norm and if you mention the internet, you'd probably see a lot of people scratching their heads. But at one point in time, the Woolwich Open plan represented something revolutionary that was going to change the face of banking. Even though it was very much the Wild West, it was folks like Brian Cox who helped advance a vision of the way banking could be and in fact paved the way for what banking is today. Brian is the founder of Foresight Consulting UK and today on the podcast he reflects on what it was like to be there when the internet and banking first met. And the two D's have got him on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to this week's show, everybody. And today we're delighted to have a special guest. He's somebody that Darmish and I work with in, I think, the year 2000. So we actually helped this individual, his name's Brian, get uh, Woolwich Open Plan Services online. So, Brian, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and maybe tell us a bit about the project that we worked on with you? Yeah, sure. So, hi, guys. Flying back to kind of the bit before millennium, I joined the Woolwich. First job I got was to have a quick look at internet banking, to have a look at the future of the internet, get to write a report about it. And it was one of those blue sky moments. You've got absolutely no idea at all about the future of the internet. You sit down and you start to research it. And I did a document out of that. And from that report, I got asked to then start to think about setting up the website. So we got the job of setting up the website and we had absolutely no idea how to do that. So of course, you know, like everyone at the time, we started to structure it like a business, lending, investing, protecting, not thinking anything around customers. And really the whole concept was bootstrapping. So get something up and running. And that then led on to, as you well know, web banking, Microsoft money, and all those other good things that came about around the 2000 period. I mean, when you say like you didn't know a lot about it, we might take it all for granted now. I mean, we are literally talking like 20 years on, right? But, you know, what do you put on a website? How do you navigate, you know, etc.? What were the challenges that you saw? The first one was trying to get the organisation on board, really, because you go to each of those areas and some people might be more developed in their thinking. So you might go to the savings team and they go, oh yeah, we want all our savings rates up. But then you might go to insurance services and you speak to them and they don't really know what the internet is. So you're having to try and educate them to begin with, but then they might go for something entirely different. And as I say, it's all very company focused, all very building society focused. And at that stage, just not around customers at all. 
it's just replicating the bricks and mortar of the organisation as it stood at the time. I mean, we should explain that the Woolwich was a large building society in those days and I think it latterly got acquired by Barclays, didn't it? Yeah, and absolutely. You know, some of the things we'll talk about later, really part of that transition, part of that change from being a building society and the culture and everything around a a kind of mutual organisation to becoming a public limited company and, you know, having all the pressures of financial reporting and the focus on the city really does change what you do as an organisation. So, yeah, certainly we can touch upon that as well. I mean, given you were a building society, to be involved in the internet at that point in time was pretty unique, right? Yeah, absolutely. We were one of the first hundred organisations in the UK to register a domain. Which is incredible (laughs) when you think about it, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, it was the bleeding edge. IBM at the time kind of had a very good relationship with the Woolwich because obviously, you know, it's a legacy time when it was all about mainframes. Banks talked mainframes. They weren't even into client server, particularly at that point in time. And IBM gave us some internet access and, you know, we had to load their browser on a little dial-up modem and try and get access. And I can remember showing my outlaws this, you know, one Christmas and trying to get their head around looking at information in America and elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, very interesting times, really. Yeah, I mean, that was all through a 9.2K modem, probably, as well. Nothing was very quick in terms of the speed that were coming down. No, no, absolutely. And, yeah, very, very different. I guess when we met you, we were tasked with actually looking at building internet banking for the Woolwich. And I guess there were a couple of things that were kind of interesting from the get-go about that. I mean, obviously, there was the fact that it was internet banking itself. But one of the things that you wanted us to look at was integration with MS Money. So can you explain what MS Money is or was And it'd be good to understand why you sort of thought that was a good idea at that stage. So there was probably two and possibly a third reason why the Building Society at the time decided to go down the path of Microsoft money. I think the first one was we were being courted by Microsoft and Intel at the time. And I mean, all the banks were being courted by those two organisations because they wanted to get us off IBM mainframes or wanted to start to use some of their DNA architecture to, to achieve that. Microsoft were also keen to get banks, building societies, other institutions on board with their consumer offerings. So Microsoft Money, MSN Channels, Trevelocity, I think that was one as well. All of those things. So there was a bit of a push from the technology vendor side. Second, as I alluded to, Woolwich demutualised in 1997, and like any other new PLC, it was keen to get share price up. So quite blatantly, you know, at the time, this is pre-dot-com bubble burst, if you made a technology announcement, it would fuel your share price. So, you know, that was probably the second reason that caught the organisation's interest. At the time, Open Plan came out as well, which was a kind of a new concept for the Woolwich, which was around anytime, anywhere banking. And so, of course, channel and having a new channel, electronic channels, made a lot of sense. So probably the third reason, which just between you guys, is one of the execs had Microsoft money at home and was a real fan of it. So that suddenly came onto the agenda as well. But of course, you know, 
in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Back then, anyone with a little bit of knowledge really drove the agenda. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I can remember many, many things like that, going in to see a major, major bank and been shown a screen that the chief executive son had designed and was told that this is probably the way that they wanted to go from a kind of... (laughs) (laughs) I remember also when we did the co-op bank that they had banking on Sky TV and you literally were given through the service a channel to go to and you could see your account up on there. Yeah, yeah. And this service ran with a server that was sitting in somebody's, you know, meeting room with a cable that was run out of the window down two floors to the server room, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, a couple of things on that. I mean, uh, the first thing that we did to prove the concept was there was an old RS6000 IBM box which had a home and contents insurance brokerage system on and it was an old green screen. So we got Microsoft in and told them uh, we only had 10K of money to get a proof of concept up and running and got them set about building an interface, a web interface. We put it online and we showed that as a demonstration. And we did that later on with web banking as well. We just threw something out. We stuck it live on the internet and called in a load of people and just showed it. And there wasn't much more behind it than that. But of course, it was a cultural change for the organisation because when you develop on a mainframe, you're talking six, nine, 12 months before you develop anything new. And, you know, we were throwing stuff up quickly. It certainly was the Wild West. Well, I mean, on that, you not only decided as a mutual to go onto the internet and then do this wacky kind of Microsoft money integration, but you also went on to mobile. And I think I tried to convince you not to do it to save your money, even though we were getting paid to you know, be part of the project. But tell us about the mobile stuff and, you know, what you did there. Darm, just to point out, it wasn't me you were trying to persuade. (laughs) No, No, I know, I know. This was was the the bank. bank. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, at the time there was Vodafone and Nokia. It's the old 7110, if you can remember that. Google it if you can't. But it was a funny old device. In fact, when I went on trial and... We were on holiday in Greece and I walked into the sea with it and I had this thing vibrating in my trousers. (laughs) (laughs) It was horrendous. You can cut that bit out. But that was when the phone's battery lasted about a week. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, telcos were really keen because at the time they were desperate to burn data and getting people to do WAP or anything, you know, was a way to burn that data. And of course, you know, as I've already alluded to, the bank or building society as it was at the time was very keen to do developments. And it was all about beating the lights of co-op, you know, and Lloyd's and everyone else. There was a real race with Microsoft money. In Sky, we did as well. Sky, I think at the time, you could see that it was very clunky. It wasn't a particularly good banking application. And the thought of pushing your kids out the way to try and do your banking on TV was just never going to happen. But, you know, again, it was back in those days when no one really knew what the dominant channel would be. Wow. You know, those were the Wild West days where it was very early. What would you say the bank learned from it? I think it learned a hell of a lot. I mean, just to put that in perspective, you've got to remember that the people we were dealing with at the time were the people who 
like us three, you know, people who love technology, people who are prepared to put up with some pain and suffering just to try something out. I can remember having a GPS and an iPad and every few hundred yards I went down the road, it would crash on me. But you persevere <laughs> with it because you just love to show the technology off. And I think a lot of our customers were like that. I spent time as the support desk for mobile banking, third line support. And, you know, as the project manager running this, getting this off the ground. But it was interesting to hear customers phone up and, you know, really see and understand the problems they were having. But it was smoke and mirrors a lot in the early days because transfers and bill payments didn't actually happen in real time. They plopped into a box and basically they were manually transacted by the contact centre a few hours or a day or so later. But, you know, the sense behind that is that from an audit perspective, you get the front end out there, you show balances, and, you know, hacking was not really a term around at the time, but people were very aware that fraud may happen, etc. So having things manually transacted in the early days made a lot of sense. And then, of course, we did it all properly, you know, and you build it into the system, you have an audit trail, you have all of that good stuff that we've become familiar with. And you build from there. But I think the bootstrapping, you know, once you get stuff up and running, you can ask customers what they like and what they don't like. And you can see quantitatively what's happening and what functions are being called and, and, you know, what's likely to be going wrong. So can you remember any customer feedback in particular? What were the sort of positives that people were coming back with? And what were some of the negatives as well? The negatives were technology was flaky at the time. If you remember, you know, we had Internet Explorer and we had Netscape Navigator and we also had issues with people using technology at work. So, you know, if there were firewall rules in place, you know, it would break stuff. So you had no control over their environment, which is the first time I guess banks have ever developed something for an environment that they had no control over. I think very quickly, you know, we got the knowledge and got the feedback that Web Bank was the key channel that people liked because, you know, for all of the obvious reasons, you don't have to install any software and you can do it anywhere, anytime. And of course, Microsoft Money was really down there in terms of take up because there were different versions of the product and the whole thing was quite clunky and very very niche. You know, Scandinavia, I think, had an enormous take-up of internet banking and mobile banking because people were geographically away from the major conurbations. And so things like that really helped. Because I remember at the stage that there were very few people using these services anyway. As a culture, I guess the UK was behind the US where a lot of these tools were being used in anger by people. And I guess the assumption was maybe people here would pick them up. Yeah, the big benefit really was the commercial, the business case around open plan. Because if you remember historically, people would be quite promiscuous. You know, they would have a number of different financial providers. You know, you'd look in someone's wallet of cards and you'd see, you know, Woolwich in there and Lloyd's in there and Barclays in there and HSBC. And the whole idea around Open Plan was about getting greater share of wallets. So, you know, that big technology push also made people join the bank. I mean, they joined in the 1.8 million, I think, from memory, the number of additional customers. 
And of course, that the number of products per person went from about 1.8 up to 3.6 or a little bit higher than that, I believe. It worked in that sense. So, you know, whilst it might have been a bit of a scattergun approach, it really did drive profitability. And arguably, that's one of the factors that got Barclays to buy the Woolwich, really. Some of the team went on to form the basis for a lot of what Barclays did in terms of their early days from a kind of digital point of view. So I think someone used the term Wild West, but there was a lot of test and learn going on. And it sounds like that commercially worked out extremely well for the Woolwich. But it was all a kind of education, wasn't it? These were the days where there weren't any rules at all. We were kind of all making it up as we go. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely lean and agile because literally on the dev side of the internet banking, we had two and a half people, one part time, but two full time. That was it. And these days now you're talking about tens of people on an internet banking project, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Woolwich was absolutely perfect sized to achieve this stuff because we got the attention of the chief exec. I mean, one of the things we did with web banking was we had a deadline notionally set of September the 20th. And every time someone got in the way of that deadline, I can remember system security kind of, I swear to God, you know, suggesting that we should have a 30 character password for customers. Honestly, you know, and (laughs) wow. You know, you just say, well, look, that's just not doable and it's going to disrupt the timeline. We're just not going to deliver. You're going to have to go and see the chief exec and explain why we're not going to make the 20th. And that would make people just yield, you know. So we were able to achieve things in very short time scales. The other really good thing that we did as a small team, and this is where kind of there was a crossover from IT into change management and the business was we had this thing called the web fair which was you know we all dressed up we all had white t-shirts we wanted web fair there was free food we took over the canteen we had beach boys music we had doom stations we had about 12 of us showing people websites so you know you'd have a lawyer sit down you talk to them about the football team you show them the west ham football team because a lot of football teams back then had been early doctors of the web So they had basic websites. And then we said, "Okay, you're a lawyer. Let's look at the law society. And there was a lot of change management there because you got people in their own disciplines to think about what competitors were doing or what their professional societies were doing. And then the chief exec walked in to this and asked us to do a similar thing for the execs and non-execs. So we did a high-level version of that then. And again, it really demonstrated to people where technology was going, and it brought it alive. I mean, it's great to reminisce, and I know we could do this for days, right? Weeks, even. (laughs) (laughs) What would your advice be to, like, traditional banks today and to the new digital players, people like Starling and Monza? I mean, what's your perspective given that you've had, you know, 20 years head start in looking at all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I've been out of banking for a while now. I mean, the focus of my company is very much local authorities, which are probably at the other end, if you think in in terms of the demographics of people who typically touch a local authority. I mean, I mean we all use local authorities for bin collections, but it's a very different uh, agenda entirely. So it's hard to kind of think, except from a perspective of being a customer, 
how things might be different. And I guess, you know, we've all got applications now. We all are very familiar with banking and receiving text messages back every time we make a payment. But listening to what people are saying now, I think that there needs to be some value add and also taking away from some of the hassle that you get from banking itself. I mean, I get absolutely frustrated with a number of alerts, non-value adding alerts on my phone. Just simple things where, you know, there's a little tag, there's a number beside an application and you go in and it's something really minor, something really useless that's come up and you just clear it because I'm a bit OCD about that stuff. And it's not actually adding any value. So I think there needs to be some thinking around that. And I think that's the only way that banks are going to really differentiate themselves if it adds real value to the way we conduct ourselves in our day-to-day life, whatever that may be. Probably a question for you guys. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was reflecting on the fact that actually, when you think about what we were talking about in the year 2000, I don't think the conversation's particularly moved on. But what has moved on is customers and customer behaviour. So we've gone from 9.6k modems to 200 megabits on our phone or whatever it is. So, you know, there is definitely so much potential. I guess what I sort of see is the industry hasn't really moved with that behaviour and that's what it needs to do. And it has to be adding a lot more value. I think there's also a dilemma, isn't there, between giving information. A really big difference between people is how much information they're prepared to give. I'm very trusting. I mean, I will prepare for a bank to know where I am to enable geographic location and, you know, where I'm near shops and to give me offers for that, whereas other people aren't. And I think maybe that's the opportunity. You need to customise applications by how people are prepared to actually divulge information or want the bank to interrupt their life and to try and help them. Definitely. Anyway, well, I think time's up. We could go on and on and on. But thank you so much for that. That was nice to relive those days. And I still remember going off and celebrating the launch of the bank by having lunch at that Mongolian restaurant. So, uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good old times. Shame it's not there. Thank you so much, Brian. That's right. No problem. Brilliant. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.